Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. How many of you guys have a favorite Christmas movie? Anybody go like this? I got one every Christmas. I have to see my favorite Christmas movie. Uh, This past Friday night at my house, there was a Christmas movie marathon that went on, but it was a total girls event, okay? It was a total girls event. So my son and I, we had to go do some guy stuff, all right? Um, But man, they had a lot of fun. You know, Christmas movies, there's tons of them produced to show during the holiday season, man, to help capitalize and enjoy the season. So I want to throw out a couple movies, and maybe if this is one of yours, you're like, I love that one, or that's one I love to see, or we try to watch it every Christmas. How many of you, like, just raise your hand, how many of you, it's the Christmas story? Like, you love the Christmas story? Okay, if you're not careful, you'll what? You'll shoot your eye out with a BB gun. Okay, you've watched that movie. Uh, What about the Polar Express? Anybody love the Polar Express? A lot of kids. Really like the Polar Express. How many of you, um, it's, uh, you like to go back a little bit to, uh, Je- Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart and it's a wonderful life. Like, you like to watch the black and white? Okay, that was a horrible impersonation, but just run with me, okay? Um, how many of you, uh, maybe it's Home Alone, Macaulay Culkin? You like Home Alone? Man, that was, that not an awesome movie? When I was a little kid and I saw that, like, I wanted to turn my whole t- house into a booby trap. I just wanted to end that moment. And they've made like 32, you know, sequels to it, but here's the deal. You can't beat the first one. They should just really stop. You can't beat the first one. Um, how many of you, it's this. It's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. You got some of those? All right, a, lot of pe- a lot of people in the house, a lot of Clark Griswold fans. Uh, and then uh, maybe what about the last one? It's, it's kind of a, a little bit of a newer one, uh, Elf. Anybody like Will Ferrell and Elf? All right. Hey, Santa, I know him, right? Uh, we watched that one a few weeks ago at my house. That's a lot of fun. Man, we as a culture, we love stories. And movies are really just stories on a screen that make us laugh and they make us cry and they entertain us. But we love stories, and Christmas is really a story. That's what we said over the last few weeks. It's not a story of animals that talk or or a sleigh that flies, but it's a story of of the arrival of a Savior, the birth of a King. And over these few weeks together in the month of December, we've been in a series that we were calling The Greatest Story Ever Foretold. The Greatest Story Ever Foretold. And in these weeks together, we've been looking at the Christmas story from Scripture. And we said that one of the things, one of the greatest things that makes the Christmas story from Scripture different than any other story is the fact that it was told before it ever happened. It was foretold. And we've seen where God used men called prophets throughout Scripture to foretell, to speak ahead of what God was going to do. And we've seen that there were around 300 prophecies that Jesus himself filled through his life and death and resurrection. And last week I told you, that the likelihood of one man fulfilling 300 prophecies foretold hundreds of years before he would be born is the same probability that if you and I covered the entire state of Texas, all right, Texas in all its glory for all you Texans, and we covered the entire state four feet high with half dollar coins painted one side of one of them red, and then one of you walks out and on the very first try, whole state of Texas, you turn over the right one. That's the likelihood that one man could fulfill 300 prophecies. But guess what? That's exactly what Jesus did. It's exactly what he did, proving that he was who he said he was. He was the Son of God, and ultimately he would become the Savior of the world. And so during this series together, we've looked at some different passages that foretell, that speak ahead of Jesus' birth leading up to Christmas. But today we're going to take a little bit of a different angle, and I want us to look at another event of Jesus' life that was foretold, that was spoken ahead of. So if you have a copy of scripture, open up to Isaiah chapter 53 with me. If you split your Bible in half, maybe land around Psalms or Proverbs, keep going just a little bit. 
but would love for you to have a copy of God's Word open, digital hard copy, whatever you've got. Um, And if you're new to our house, we'll also put Scripture on the screen behind me just for you to kind of track along with where I'll be in Scripture today. Um, Isaiah, if you know anything about the Old Testament, he was a man who actually was one of these prophets. He was one of the guys that God chose and that God used to speak to his people to say ahead of time what God was going to do. And in Isaiah 53, Isaiah delivers some of the most powerful words of prophecy in the entire Bible. I want us to read six of those verses together. We're going to start with just three verses, but I want us to see how this prophecy, this word, and this promise spoken thousands of years ago, literally from this date, how it still impacts you and me today. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 53, and we'll pick up in verse 1. This is what it says, "'Who has believed our message?' And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He, meaning Jesus, grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. There was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. See, Isaiah writes these people, or these words, to God's people, remember, literally hundreds of years before Jesus was ever on the scene. But when he writes this, he begins to talk about the character of who Jesus would be and how he would be treated. Verse 1 says, the arm of the Lord will be revealed. In other words, God Almighty, Yahweh God, was going to reveal himself to his people. And if this was true, then this had to have caused uh, some curiosity and a stir among the people who heard this. They had to begin to wonder, like, well, how is Almighty God going to reveal himself to us? Because clearly, it's, man, it's going to be something big. Like, I'm talking about local news, breaking news. Everybody's going to be covering it. Everybody's going to be talking about it on social media. Because, like, this is going to be the event of history ever. God's going to show himself to us. And I know that the curiosity had to have been raised. But then Isaiah makes an interesting turn in verses 2 and 3. We just read it. And he begins to speak about the character of this coming Messiah. And he uses these words, tender, no beauty, no majesty, despised, and rejected. And I just have to imagine that the people, as they heard and saw Isaiah write this and read it, they had to have gone, no, 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 not, not, not Yahweh God. No, no, no. He, no, he's not coming like that. I mean, he's coming in might and power. You see, as we now read this account thousands of years later, we realize that Isaiah was right, that Isaiah was correct, that God would not come in as a mighty warrior, but he would come in as a mere baby. And I believe that God would send us a savior of low regard, Isaiah would say, so that he could identify with you and me in our lowest of places. Maybe you've been in a place before where you didn't really feel like people understood you or where you fit in. Maybe it was an event or an environment that you were in, and maybe you felt like everybody else in the room had everything together, but not you. Or maybe you were at that social thing or at your workplace, and it feels like everybody else has got money and opportunities and resources, but not you. Or maybe it's a place where you've been before, and you felt that everybody else had success and status, but that's just not your story, and that's not where you are. Maybe, if you're really honest, maybe you walked into this room today, maybe for the very first time, to be a part of one of our gatherings, and there was a whole lot of fear coming in because you're like, man, I don't know how we're going to click. I don't know how we're going to fit in. This is going to be totally different. And you walked in not knowing if you might fully fit in. You see, Scripture says when Jesus arrived on earth, he didn't live the life of a high roller. 
but instead he served as a humble servant. That God, holy Yahweh God, would become a baby, and then a boy, and then ultimately a man. But he would know the discouragement of being despised, Isaiah says. He would know the heartbreak of being rejected. He would know the pain of suffering so that he could identify with you and me in our lowest of moments. See, chances are, man, you sit here on Christmas Eve with all the buzz and all the parties and the food and the family and the gifts and all that goes into it. And maybe today you can put a smile on your face, but the reality is your world and maybe even your year has been rocked by discouragement and rejection and suffering. And you're going to make it through this Christmas, but the reality is internally you know the pain and the heartbreak and the discouragement of circumstances that maybe you've walked yourself into, or maybe that life has handed you that you certainly didn't ask for. You see, in this moment, we realize that God, even in all his might and power, that he came to us in low regard so that he could identify with us in our lowest of places. So today, if you're struggling with discouragement or rejection or pain, it's not that God's out of touch with your story. It's not that he doesn't get you. But Isaiah would say that he came as one of us so that he could help you know that he understands, that he's with you, that he is present. And then Isaiah would go on to write in verse 4 of chapter 53, he says, Surely he, meaning Jesus, he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God. We thought that he was stricken by God and that he was afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. In these verses, Isaiah goes on from describing the character of this coming Messiah to describing what he would actually do, the plans that he would actually carry out. It says that Jesus took up our pain and he bore our suffering. In other words, he identified with the hurts and the pains of living a life on this earth. He knows that. But then scripture would say, not only did he identify with us, but then he took it a step further and he stepped into our place. Verse 5 that we just read says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. How many of you uh, had siblings growing up? Anybody have siblings growing up? How many of you were the oldest sibling? You were the oldest, yeah, much wiser and older than all of your other siblings. I'm the oldest in my family. Um, how many of you were, were, you were the baby sibling? You're the baby? Spooled rotten is who you are, okay? We're grateful that you're here today, but that's who you are, all right? Hey, uh, if you had, no, seriously, if you had siblings growing up, you probably had this, like, go down at some point in your house where, man, I, I don't know, like, there was a fight, like, knock down, pulling hair, scratching, kind of drag out fight. Not that you would ever do that. I know you're great holy people, but let's just say it happened at your house. Or maybe, like, you broke something, okay, like, you broke the vase or that mama's picture frame. That was my house. Like, we were playing football in the living room. Okay, I'm sorry, mama. But, like, here's what happened. Whenever that went down, mom and dad, whatever it was, the fight, you broke something, mom and dad would walk in, and, and what was their question? Who did it? Who did it? Okay, and here's what, I, like, I'm, I'm pushing all in, and I'm betting that nobody in the room in that moment, nobody in the room in that moment went, Mom, Dad, it was me. It was me. I, I did it. I did it. I am, I am at fault. I am so sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. I, I was so wrong, so hurtful. It was such an unwise decision. I, I'm ready. I'm ready for whatever punishment you would render me. Would you just go ahead? I'm ready. No, I, none of you said that, Okay. Don't, don't act like you did. If you say you said that, you're a liar, okay, and you're in church. Don't do that. But listen, here, here, here's what happened. When they walked in, they said, who did it? Who's, who started this? Who's followed? 
Here's, what was your immediate response? They did. All right? You didn't have to think about it. They did. Like, he said this, or she pushed me, or this is what, that's why it happened. And I, I would bet, maybe, like, you don't have to testify to this, but maybe there were some of you that it went so far, it went so far, that perhaps one of your siblings actually took the punishment you deserved. Maybe, maybe, don't tell on yourself, maybe. I'm just saying, it could have been that your brother or your sister maybe took your whipping, Right? When you were really the one at fault, okay, you need to go and fess up, tell your mama, okay, at Christmas, just pull mama aside. Hey, mama, you remember that time when we were eight? Yeah, 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 yeah. that was me. That was me, okay? And just see how it goes down. I don't know. It'll be fun. You know, Scripture says this, though. (laughs) Scripture says that that's exactly, that's exactly what, catch this, Jesus willingly did for you and me. That he became our substitute. That he willingly took the punishment and the pain that we were owed. He stepped into our place, and because there was something broken in us, Jesus became broken for us. Here's how the message translation would say verses 4 and 5 of Isaiah 53. It says, but the fact is, it was our pains that he carried. It was our disfigurements all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself that God was punishing him for all his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. See, the reality is whether you admit it or not, there is something inherently and consciously broken in us. There's something inherently and consciously broken in in all of us. First, we are inherently broken, meaning that we are sinful and rebellious from birth. If you don't think that we are broken and sinful from birth, and you try to teach your two-year-old how to share, it ain't happening, right? Why? Because Scripture would say that the moment that Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, were to rebel against God in the garden, just like we would have, but their rebellion introduced sin into the world, which infected all of us. We all step in with this inherent brokenness of sin in our life. But not only are we inherently broken, we're also consciously broken. By that, I mean that every single person in here today has consciously made decisions over the last year, over the last month, over the last week, over the last 24 hours. We have made conscious decisions to go against God's plans and purposes for our life and to chase the thing that we thought was so much better, right? It's not just that big choice that you made back in high school that marked you, In those days, it's not just that season of life in college where you went wild. It's not just the fact that your first marriage didn't work out. It's not just about that season of addiction in your life. But the reality is the conscious brokenness of sin in us is a daily moment-by-moment fight from our flesh against the plans and the purposes of God for us. It's that fight to choose honesty. It's that moment-by-moment choice to choose purity, to choose integrity, to release anger, to overcome greed. It's a moment-by-moment, daily, hour-by-hour fight that we are in. And here's the truth. The fact that you and I, the fact that we lose many of those battles shows that there is something broken inside of us. There is something that is not fully right Scripture tells us not only are we broken, but we are incapable of fixing our brokenness. 
We're incapable of fixing. But that doesn't mean that we don't try, right? All of us, all of us have tried in some very extensive ways to try to fix that brokenness, that longing, that void inside of us, right? Our culture markets to it. That's why right now there's commercials for every toy and gadget you can imagine. This will bring joy and happiness. This will fix that brokenness. Or maybe for you, you chase that relationship with him or her thinking it would complete you. But the reality is it only left you more broken. Or maybe you chased more money or a better job just thinking if we could have this stuff or that status or we could reach this comfort level, then all will be good. But maybe it left you broke and it left you broken. We chase that high or that drink thinking that it will numb the pain and just make all those worries go away but inside it only breaks us even further. Or maybe you chased a certain image or level of status among your social circle, just going, man, if I can fit in with those guys or that group, that'll, that'll help me bring some peace. But the reality is it only broke you even more. See, the reality we all have to face is that we are incapable of fixing our brokenness. We can't. So the question becomes, what could what would be the answer to the brokenness that we all have? Well, here's what Isaiah would say. Look back at Isaiah 53. Let's read verse 5 again. It says this. It says, But He, meaning Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds, we're healed. See, Scripture tells us that Jesus' brokenness was the fix to our brokenness. That Jesus' willingness to be pierced, to be crushed, to be despised and rejected, that Jesus' brokenness would become the perfect fix for our brokenness. God the Father would willingly offer up His Son, and Jesus the Son would obediently go all the way to the cross so that his brokenness, the brokenness of his body would fix the broken things inside of us. The pain, the shame, the guilt, the remorse, the rebellion that we all fight with. Jesus became the fix for that. And his brokenness was perfect to fix our brokenness. And check this out. It was always God's plan A. It was always God's plan A. See, as Isaiah wrote these words, remember, hundreds, not weeks, not months, not a couple of years, hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, he was foretelling of God's plans for Jesus to die. God as a perfect father over us as earthly children would make the hardest decision possible for his eternal son that he would offer him up in our place. So that by his wounds, Isaiah says, we would be healed. That there would be a savior for us. Here's what 1 Peter 2.24 would say. It's the New Testament now. Speaking back about what Isaiah would say. It said that it's true. We've seen it. Peter had now understood. He was on the other side of the cross. And he said, he himself, Jesus, he bore our sins in his body on the cross. Why would he do that? So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, 
you and I can be, have been healed. See, the story of Christmas was never really just about the cradle, but it was always an avenue to get to the cross. The manger was never just the resting place for a baby, but it was the gift table of the mighty God. And God's gift to us was a Savior for our brokenness. And God is the perfect Father, is also the perfect gift giver. And He has given, He has offered the very perfect gift to us. But here's the catch. Here's the hard part. The difficulty is in our willingness to receive the gift. It's in our willingness to receive the gift. Here's what Isaiah would say in the final verse of our passage today. Isaiah 53 verse 6. It says this, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In this final verse, Isaiah draws this comparison between humanity, you and I, and sheep. Now, I'm going to be willing to bet that most of us have not had a whole lot of interaction with sheep. But in this moment, there's a lot of people who had, and so it made a lot of sense to them. Because here's what Jesus was implying. Sheep are notoriously known for being the dumbest of animals. They just are. They are one of the dumbest of animals. They are, their research has shown that they are short-sighted. They're short, I mean, they see a clump of grass, and that's all they can think about. It's just like, clump of grass, clump of grass. Clump. And they have no idea where it will take their feet. They don't, they don't, all they see is the clump of grass. They are self-centered in nature. They chase after whatever they think will satisfy them. They have no idea for the welfare of the other sheep around whom they might just follow right into danger. And as a result, they get lost really often. Does that sound familiar? Because that's a great description of the broken sin nature that we all carry. Is it not? We chase temporary satisfaction. And relationships and stuff and power and pleasures without even thinking about where it may lead us. And we become so self-centered thinking about us and what will make us happy without any thought about how it could affect those around us. Spouse, kids, friends, family, co-workers. Clump of grass, clump of grass, clump of grass. And we chase after those things revealing that there is something inherently and consciously broken in us. And Scripture says, we all like sheep have gone astray. And each of us turning to our own way. How many of you, uh, maybe you have a one or two year old at your house? Okay, maybe you got a one or two year old grandchild, or maybe your child's been one or two. Okay, if they're older, then they've been one or two at some point. Um, but if you've ever been around, I was thinking the picture this week, if you've ever been around a one or two year old um, that's, that's opening a gift, like, you've seen a pretty powerful picture of what I'm talking about here. Like, if you've got that grandbaby, or maybe that's your child, and, like, you're going out to buy them the gift. Like, whatever that thing is, you've got to find the thing, okay? If you're the grandparent, you're not really into the no, and so you've got to ask Mama, what's the thing for the one or two-year-old? So you go, and you find that perfect gift. Maybe you Amazon Prime it to your house, or you go work through all the crazy crowd at Toys R Us. Okay, don't do that. All right, it'll take you further away from Jesus, because it's, it's wild out there right now. But, like, you, you wade through the crowd. You find that perfect present, okay? And, and if you're a grandparent, if you're a grandparent, it doesn't matter what it costs, right? Okay, and all the parents are like, yeah, thank you very much. Okay, if you're a parent, you're working on a budget. But if you're a grandparent, it's like, oh, yeah, what is my grandkid, whatever. And so you buy that perfect present, you take it home, you put it in the box, you find the perfect shiny paper with flowers and elephants and balloons and all that fun stuff on there. And then you wrap it up, put a bow on top, and then it happens. 
Then it ha- you take it to the family Christmas, and there's the little nephew or the grandchild or your son or daughter, and you give it to that one or two-year-old, and how does it, how does it go down, right? Man, they, they start pulling into it. you got to first direct them, like, that's yours, okay, stay over here, okay, that's yours. And then they start unwrapping it, and they, like, pull a little paper here, and they work through all your tape. And then they, they open it enough, there's still paper on the box, but they open it enough that they can see the box. And then it happens. Then it happens. They stop. Because they take the paper and they just start waving it like this. Because that is, brand when you're one or two, that is just a blast. Like, it is so much fun to hear that paper. And then they start drumming on the box, right? And they're just beating on the box. And they take the bow. They're, like, throwing it around, stick it on their head, okay? And, and they never really want to open the present because they're what? They're content just to play with the box and the paper. And you're standing back there as a grandparent going like, no, 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 that, that ain't it. That's not what I got. Like, there's more. In it. Go ahead. Go ahead. And you, you, you know, you want to be quiet. You want to let mama take control. But you're like, no, 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 there's more. In it. That's not what I paid for. That's not the present. Don't stop there. But the little one or two, you're so content. Are they not just so content? I mean, they're just happy, man, just waving the paper, playing with the box. Because they're content just to stop with the gift wrapping in the box. Never even really open the present. You know what? I think if we're honest, when we get older, same thing can happen to us. It's not that we don't physically open the present under the tree that's given to us. But we take this life that God has given to us. And so often it becomes so easy to settle for the wrapping paper and the gift boxes of the world. We settle for the pursuit of that next relationship, just thinking if I could get it like that will be the fix. We chase after an image physically. If I could just look this certain way, then he'll like me then I'll fit in. We want to be a certain way online, or we get caught in a pursuit of more stuff, or if we could get more money, then we could get more stuff. And then we'd be content, or we settle in a place of depression or addiction, thinking that we'll never get out of that. Or maybe we find ourselves caught in a place of shame from the mistakes of our past or the failures of our life. See, the truth is that God knew our brokenness. Because He's a perfect Father and He's a perfect gift giver, He's already given the perfect and greatest gift. It's on the table. But the issue is our willingness to receive it. Because so often, if we're honest, we get caught up in the wrapping paper and the gift boxes of the world. And we become content just to settle. See, it's possible for you today as a junior high or high school student, as a mom or dad in the room today, single parent, grandparent, It's possible that as you approach Christmas 2017, you can do all of the great Christmas stuff. Man, you can do the gatherings and the presents and the gifts and the food and the family. But it's still possible for you to do all of those great things and miss the great gift that was given to you. Because you see, God's plan for Christmas was never just about a baby in a manger, but it was about a Savior for your brokenness. So the question for you today, church, is will you open and celebrate the full gift that God has given? Or or will you grow content and will you settle for the gift wrapping and the boxes of the world and miss God's gift to you of life and joy and purpose and peace only found in Him? Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. 
Now go, be the church, and give life.